It's a great afternoon here today on the Sober Ratitude podcast. My name is Daniela Park. Hey, I'm Julie Kennedy. Hey, Julie, we did it. Yay. Yay. How many times? We got it. We're good. All right. Well, this is our second podcast, and we are a podcast about recovery from alcohol and addiction to different medications, to drugs, and all of that good stuff. If you are wanting to get sober or have questions for yourself, we hopefully will be able to answer them here for you. Uh, We're here to help, not hurt. And we hope you enjoy the show. Yes, love it. Great introduction. That's what we're all about here. We do no harm. That's right. Mm-hmm. So our topic for today, early recovery, right? Pause, post-acute withdrawal syndrome. Let's get into it. I've never even heard of it. Like, describe like that pause I guess because you're an addiction specialist like Mm -hmm. can you tell me exactly what it is what it means sure so um I thought this would be a great topic considering you know a lot of us are still relatively new in recovery and you know myself included I had no idea what pause was um I do remember being relatively new probably about 90 days into my recovery and an old timer pulled me aside and he had mentioned, you know, be careful of pause post-acute withdrawal syndrome. And he said it it typically Mm. happens around, you know, nine months. If you notice, a lot of people don't get nine months or they'll get nine months and then they'll relapse after that, you know, or they'll get a year Uh. and they'll relapse after that. So, and, and obviously I needed to understand what that meant because I think it's great to have an understanding of what this disease is you know, not in an intellectual way, you know, it kind of helped me to understand. So basically, there's the initial acute withdrawal, right? Acute withdrawal is basically like those symptoms that we experience, like the tremors, the cold night sweats, you know, some of us even experience um, what's it called? Um, Some of us even experience like a lot of anxiety in the beginning and um, seizures. So it's actually really scary, the acute withdrawal phase. And so I recommend to anybody, you know, being that I do work in treatment, um, that it is highly recommended that if you are experiencing initial acute withdrawals, you do get professional medical attention. Um, Because that's also something I did not realize when I first tried to get sober was the dangers of actually trying to withdraw yourself. And I was an everyday drinker at that point. Um, so that's the first stage, which is typically about a week long, a week or two, a two week period of the acute withdrawals. So post acute withdrawals is more of like the psychological experience. So what is involved with that is basically a lot of what we experience, right, which is the mood swings, um, and Hendonia, which I'll get into a different topic on that, um, anxiety, insomnia, having a hard time sleeping, Um, A lot of, you know, cognitive impairments, mood changes, depression, and fatigue. Um, Ooh, sounds fun, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah. So these are definitely part of the post-acute withdrawal phase, which is typically about a month or two after the initial acute withdrawal. And it can actually last about a year to two years even. So that's something I definitely wanted to share with with our listeners. Well, that 
That makes sense. I mean, when I would come off drugs or when I knew, or at least I was going to try to come off drugs, Mm -hmm. I would set myself up. I I knew it was going to be hard because coming off of drugs or alcohol is always difficult. You're physically addicted, you're mentally addicted, and you and you really wonder what's going to happen. For a person like me, I never took a sober breath for 15 years, so yeah. I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to live without it. But the physical parts, the mental parts, mm-hmm. um, you know, were oblivious to the fact that even when we've been around and sober for a while, we still have those, like those using dreams or, Uh um, you know, that kind of stuff. Right. And it's natural and it's kind of part of the process, right? Is that what they say? Oh, definitely. Yeah. (laughs) It's part of the process. Get comfortable with being uncomfortable. That's one of my favorite statements ever. Oh yeah, that's a good. That's it's a good a, one. That's yeah, because <laughs> damn, it is uncomfortable. <laughs> so I would set myself up, and I would be ready for you know anything. That I would have sugar. I would have all these things uh, ready. Mm. Fail, or I'd be feeling really great again. Then I would fail, and I would use or drink, and I could never stay sober. This time around, I remember starting to feel a little bit depressed, um, maybe a couple of months recovery, maybe actually now that I remember it was over a year, Mm -hmm. had some kind of a breakdown and I, I called my best friend and she picked me up and we went to the doctor and they tested me for bipolar, which I did not have. And I was kind of looking at the world from the outside in and it was like the first kind of panic attack I had in a way. Mm-hmm. And so they got me on antidepressants, which I had been in, been on in the past. And if you think of the chemical imbalance of a person that smokes methamphetamines and the serotonin, you know, the serotonin levels and the endorphins and all the things that are so messed up the body and the mind together physically, you know, the chemical imbalance in the brain, you know, you've lost so much serotonin that you'll never get back. And um, at that point I wasn't running around on a exercise bike, you know, but so (laughs) I did, I got on um, uh, an antidepressant and now I'm on two because one of them helps the other one, which is really Got it. And the post-traumatic stress syndrome was something I have. I still really fight with. I have it. I have it pretty bad, actually, um, the PTSD. But the medications were able to help me, you know, lessen the dreams, the bad dreams and the, um, you know, some of the effects of the PTSD. But it's all from the using, you know, and it kind of. Oh, the, 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 the. The PTSD is is it's from the using. Yeah, well, it's from the uh, the using and uh, the things that happened throughout the using and everything. But it kind of seems what you were talking about. What this is. Definitely, yeah. Uh, you definitely explained it, and you hit the nail on the head. You know, and this is where I definitely want to encourage people to get outside help if they need it. 
Um, you know, but also be an advocate for the fact that you're in recovery. And, you know, a lot of doctors are, are not really well educated um, in this, what the disease is. And so we have to make sure we take our care of our recovery and we are open about, you know, what our boundaries are and what, you know, when it comes to controlled substances, you know, that that's definitely something that's not recommended. And I definitely want to point out as well that we are not doctors here. We are not nurses, so we are not giving any kind of medical advice here. But what we are sharing is what works for us, right? Right. And so in terms of, like, depression and the chemical balance, especially when you mention, like, the amphetamines being your drug of choice, I mean, we see that a lot, you know, like the, the serotonin drops and it's kind of hard to get back up um, to that level. Right. And so anhedonia is actually quite in a sense different from like clinical depression where a lot of those symptoms are actually can be can be kind of meshed together and then you kind of experience anhedonia which actually does pass after a while once your brain is continuing to heal in that process so we talk about boosting the neurotransmitters and and trying to get our brain back to that equilibrium right and so anhedonia does not last forever it's definitely part of post-acute withdrawal and so things that used to be really exciting for us like you mentioned like you didn't get on a bike you didn't work out you didn't do all that stuff and things maybe that we used to love to do before we came into recovery and all of a sudden we're finding that it's just not the same for us we're not getting that 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 happy high that we're looking for mm-hmm. sometimes it just takes time it just takes time for our body to kind of heal right because it's just thrown for a loop right now it's like so anyways, I love to hear that you definitely got the outside help that was needed. And when we're voicing what we need and we're sharing and we're being vulnerable like that, like you were with your friend, I think that that is huge in recovery is that we are honest and we are open and we are willing to take some direction. Yeah. And, it, you know, and myself included, I have, like I mentioned in the other podcast, I do struck, um, suffer from clinical depression. So I myself am on antidepressants. And it's not a controlled substance, and it's been something that I've been on since I've gotten sober, you know, over nine years ago. And um, and it doesn't fix any of my problems. You know, it definitely doesn't. I have to do the footwork. I have to take the action. Right. And, you know, there are some days where all I can do is maybe take a shower. Yeah. And, you know, maybe read a book or watch do watch a bunch of Netflix, which obviously that's a whole nother side that's unhealthy <laughs> for me. <laughs> totally unhealthy sometimes. You know, there's a difference between self care and isolation. And that's a really fine line for me where I can find myself justifying, hey, I'm doing some self care right now. I'm watching some Netflix and I'm chilling with my dog. And in reality, if I'm watching an entire day worth of Netflix, that can actually feed into my depression so much worse, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's it's such a, it's like, can't we just catch a break here? <laughs> we, man, can't we just sit around and eat a bunch of chocolate and be alone and watch Netflix all day without having some kind of a name. <laughs> Why do we have to be so depressed? No, but I totally get that. And I think most yeah. um, addicts and alcoholics have something that they do a little overboard. And I mean, that's my opinion, but I know me, there's something like I'm a workaholic and that's my problem. I always work. Like I'm just, mm-hmm. if I'm not working, I don't know what the heck I'd be doing because 
I'm always on a computer trying to make things better, trying to get new products. And it's, it's, it's just, my brain is kind of set up that way because of my so many years of drugs, drug use and alcoholism for, you know, all those years. Um, I think my, and they do have those uh, wonderful programs where they retrain your brain. What are they called? Um, neurofeedback. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Cognitive behavior therapy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what, what is that exactly? Does that help? Yeah, it's basically, I mean, that's where I love, you know, to, to definitely mention that getting, you know, certain outside help, special help is is always recommended to find what works for you. That's basically, like you mentioned, just retraining the brain. So it's about changing the thought patterns, changing the thought behaviors, you know, and it's, it's working with someone one-on-one who actually helps retrain that negative energy, that negative thoughts that come up for us. And sometimes that's just something that takes time, you know, and, and when you're doing it in a session one-on-one, that's great, but you got to do the footwork yourself when you're not there. So it's something that we actually in recovery do ourselves. I think on not knowing we're doing it, you know, when we're retraining that thought process. So a lot of people are relapsing at mm-hmm. nine months. Like you said, you had mentioned yeah. before um, they're relapsing and they're not making it because of pause, because they're, mm-hmm. they're just not wanting to, to, it, to bother with it. It's a miserable, it um, bunch of side effects that they think are going to last forever, but they don't. And then you get back to this normal life that is kind of in a way like a high because you're on this, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever you're doing, you're, you're past those symptoms and you're living this really fulfilling life, whether it's, um, you know, you're in school or you're participating in your job, which is something that's (laughs) big for us, you know, definitely. you get married, you have relationships, and you have a great life. And it's and it becomes a big life. And it's possible. I mean, I never had a day without a drink or a drug for the last 15 years of my using. And I never could even imagine a day without a drink or a drug. I could not function without it. It was just and probably the chemicals in my brain are still spitting out some gook. I can only imagine. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, that's 15 years is a long time of conditioning the mind to act this way, right? To survive while using, telling, your brain's basically telling you in order to survive, you need to use this drug, right? So everything you did was revolved around this drug use. And now all of a sudden you're throwing it for a loop and you're trying to kind of pave some new pathways there, healthy ones. And it doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to do it perfectly, which is even the cooler part of this is that, yeah, you know, going back to what you were saying about people relapsing and stuff about nine months to a year. um, And exactly. They don't understand that pause is temporary. You know, these feelings are temporary and, you know, when you can get to the other side of it, you work through it, you come out even stronger than when you went in, you know, because you realize the importance of working through this uncomfortable stuff is really how you were able to get, you know, on the other side and appreciate when you have those amazing, like you talked about those pink cloud days where like you're, you're falling in love for the first time and it's scary, but exciting, you know, you're experiencing life on a whole new level. 
which is what you were not capable of doing before you know so like if anybody is feeling you know any of these symptoms that the mood swings anxiety even an anhedonia whatever obviously sometimes all I could do when I was going through that is is just not drink that's the only thing I did perfectly and the rest of just over time I, I was able to work it out where I you know I was able to go to a meeting I was able to like take a shower you know all those things that were really hard for me to do at that at that time in my life so and it, you know it it kind of reminds me of of when they say pause like it, like you look at you look at a little kitty's feet and you have to almost pause and and look at your own feet and remember yeah. right here right now and yeah. you know at this moment everything is good there was a time where i got you know i got married and there's so many highs involved with that and mm-hmm. um or i did you know i got an award or i learned something new that was great and amazing and you have this high and then you're kind of, you know, you're back down to a normal life after all that. Yeah. Oh, shit. Are you there? Hello? Oh shit. Can you hear me? <laughs> We're here. We're here. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Um good. I was as I was saying, I if I'm honest and I'm spiritual and I go to my meetings and I mm-hmm. find somebody to talk to, um, whether it's a spiritual advisor, mentor, sponsor, parent, friend, dog, anything that <laughs> I can be yeah. I can be honest with about my truth because we are as sick as our secrets, they say, and I believe that. Because self cannot re- reveal self to self. We oh, can't. I love that. Yeah. It's so true. And to get through these symptoms, which come back 10 years later, because we all get that, not all, I got depressed here and there after those highs. And then, you know, and then you kind of, now I'm at where I live a very simple life. And I, it, it's rare that I get in that, in that mode just because, I have done the work. It does help. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. When you get yourself on that routine, it's definitely so much easier, you know, and when you were mentioning, you know, you, I just want to point out when you mentioned that you had all these really exciting things happen in your life, like the highs of getting married and moving in together and moving, you know, all these really exciting things that happen. And then all of a sudden we kind of drop. You know, uh, because we have a high, right? And then all of a sudden, we're kind of like, okay, now what? Like, all this great stuff happened, and I'm kind of down here now. And, you know, how do I work myself up? And I just think that 
as addicts and alcoholics, we love to always be high, right? We want to always feel high. We always want to feel good. And it's so hard for us to just live life on life's terms and be like, okay with it being just not mediocre, because that's definitely not what I want to emphasize here. Is it? It's, it's just, there's a nice flow. If there's no drama going on, it's almost like, what do we do with ourselves, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, and because they're overachievers. We're, we're people that um, we're overachievers. We, and some of the good things that we can do are help others. I mean, that is one of the, the best things that, for me, that has helped me through the most is when I start obsessing on myself, because it's so easy for me to obsess on me, 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 mm-hmm. poor me, and uh, <laughs> poor little old me, <laughs> and um, and uh, it's it's so easy to get so obsessed with yourself, and when you're helping another, you don't have to think about yourself. You're you're doing something good, and when you leave, or when you're helping somebody that high that you feel is incredible. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Carry, carry you for a day, a week, even a month sometimes. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. You know, in, in regards to getting out of self, you know, that's like the perfect example as to why we do. And I don't think that there's such thing as a selfless act of kindness because I think we get so much out of it, you know? And I think a lot of people who are new, they don't understand how this helps us even more than they even know, you know, because like you said, we can definitely sit in our own stuff and we can think about us. We can just analyze over everything and think about things that we don't have going on and then once we step outside of ourselves that's the beauty of this program right that 12-step program right there is that you know we get to give back what was so freely given to us and right. you know, that's how this works and I think people think oh I don't want to bother them you know I it's fine whatever and it's you know like call us doesn't matter what time of the day it is, doesn't matter what time of the night it is, you know, when we can help you work through these uncomfortable things, it really helps us to, you know, practice our own self-care. And it reminds us of how it was in the beginning. It's important to remember where we came from, right? Exactly. It's not that we're living in it. We're not living in the past, but we will not forget it. We're going to remember why we're doing this because life can get good and we can forget easily why we even have this life now. So, yeah. And you know, I'm sure people are listening to this going, Oh geez, you know, perfect little girls. They're helping everybody. And cause <laughs> not everybody, not everybody has a works a good program because mm-hmm. Um, program, whether it's 12 step program or smart program or whatever it is, mm-hmm. they, they don't work because they, they don't, they don't know that it's going to get hard. And, you know, this disease is, oh, you know, on the door trying to get us to open up and let them in. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people are, I think for me, I was spiritually done and, that's when it happened. It took almost dying and I wouldn't ever want to go back there, but there's a lot of people today that don't need to go that far, but mm-hmm. they just, what I'm noticing is that relapse has just become one of those things that people just, Oh, I relapsed. Okay. Well, and then I relapsed, and then they, you know, they relapse over and over and it just becomes like a cycle. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh my god! Yes, you make such a valid point. Mm-hmm. I mean, it takes what it takes, yeah, right? Yeah, but every story is different, and you know, piggyback on what you said, what I'm hearing sometimes, and it it just irks me to my core. Is that relapse is part of recovery? No, honey, it is not part of recovery. It's part of our disease, you know. And I'm not here all high and mighty saying like, oh, you know, if you relapse, you know, then there's something wrong with you. We're done with you. Obviously, we want everybody to learn experience, right? And and look at the pattern because in my experience, relapse doesn't just happen. It's not something that just happens out of nowhere. It's something that we're working towards. We're either working towards a relapse or we're working towards a recovery, point blank. You know, right. and, and for me, I can tell you right now that, yeah, there was, there was three years of my life that I, um, relapsed many times. I went to many different treatment programs. I went to sober livings and, you know, I don't really even like to say that it was a relapse because I hadn't even surrendered to that. I did surrender to the fact that I was an alcoholic, but I did not surrender to the fact that I wanted to do any of the work. And so therefore, yeah, I do have some relapses, which was hard for me, but also I think I really had to want it more than I wanted to drink. And it, it wasn't like that for those three years. I wanted to drink more than I wanted to be sober. And that's what it comes down to. I just didn't want to do the work. You know what I mean? So when, yeah. I, when I surrendered, so, that was it, you know? So. <laughs> yeah. So the pause stuff, like you had the depression, did you have, because you drink, you were a big alcohol uh, mm-hmm. drinker. Did you have the trailers oh, yeah. and stuff? Like, do you still have dreams or do you, are you past that? Oh, no, I'm, yeah, I will, like I had mentioned before, you know, with, when it comes to medical attention, it's really important that if somebody is going through withdrawals, that they do, they do seek medical attention. Um, I did experience all those withdrawals. I experienced even some seizures along the way, some tremors, um, some shakiness, some hot, cold sweats. It was very scary. And I had no idea the severity of what that meant until I actually started asking questions. And I was told, you need to get medical help. And that was, I think, the turning point for me was when I started to experience the actual physical withdrawals. Before, it was just like, emotional withdrawals whatever draining in that sense but when it came down to physical uh, that scared me a lot you know yeah so that was the initial acute withdrawal and then after that I didn't experience any of those tremors I was kind of I was out of the woods in the medical aspect but then going on to the pause which was the the psychological aspect as well as like having a hard time sleeping irritability I was angry a lot And I couldn't understand what it was I was going through until I really, you know, looked more into what post-acute withdrawal was. And I really honestly think that saved my life. I mean, on top of many other things, which was obviously working with my sponsor, going to meetings, working on my step work, working on my inventory, doing a gratitude list, like all those things combined is what saved me. But also I think, um, understanding what was what I was going through it really helped me intellectually right because sometimes I just need to know these things intellectually so we get stark raving sober and they keep telling us contrary action but the truth is is that it does work and um, if if you're struggling out there 
find somebody to tell you what to do because you may not know how to live without a drink or a drug because I know I didn't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, find somebody who's sober that can help guide you because you don't you, you can't really do it alone. I mean, you can, but you don't have to. Exactly. And um, there, there's so many people out there that care. And it, it it just, it's become such a big thing these days. And so many more people are getting sober. And it's just become such a big, giant, beautiful movement. And everybody's joining in. And it's such a relief. There's still a huge epidemic, but there is a very big... Um, breakthrough as far as social media and all that kind of stuff, podcasts, whatever it may be, whatever it may be, you know, one person at a time, hopefully we can say something or help or do something that, that is going to help somebody, you know, down the line or right this moment. Yeah. You know, and I, and I love to hear, you know, how there are so many different avenues Um, And I think that social media has definitely added some substance to my recovery. But at the same time, if I'm not careful, that could be a whole nother addiction in itself. And not only that, but I can find myself comparing to where I am to where somebody else is in their recovery. You know, maybe I don't have this going on in my recovery. So herefore, I feel like I'm lacking in my own recovery. You know, so it can be healthy in a sense where it can be encouraging and enlightening and you can like really learn a lot of stuff along the way, but also making sure that you have that healthy-ish balance on, you know, what you're interpreting through that process. Because it can definitely, I yeah. Can agree with to that? What you said. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a whole other episode. Whole I other think topic. the whole definitely. social media thing, I mean, it's you're dealing with ego and that is one of the main contributors of the, you know, the resentment and the pride and, you know, all the stuff that takes us out. And I think that'd be a great new episode um, that we should talk about social media and just hash it out and, and talk about it and see what we think about it. Because, I get frustrated mm-hmm. when people talk about I'm in long-term recovery and, you know, it, it, and they're trying to, 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 you know, talk about it's okay not to do this and that when, you know, we really don't have a right. We just, I guess this is a whole other episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That'll be something that, you know, we can all work on together. I think that resentment uh, is so important to look at, you know, because who are we hurting in that process? Right. When we're saying what works for, and what it comes down to is I always like to emphasize what works for me, you know, what works for me is this what works for me is this, you know, obviously I might've tried this and it didn't work for me, but it could be totally different for you, you know? And so I think that's where it's like trying to find, you know, the silver lining and all of it. But I think that would be a great, great topic for the next episode or some episode down the road. Definitely. Awesome. Well, hey, thank you so much, everybody, for joining us. My name is Daniela Park. I've been sober since 9-11-2006, and my partner in crime. (laughs) I'm Julie Kennedy, and I've been sober since December 2nd, 2009. Yeah. That's between us. We hope you all join us next time on our third episode, and we hope you enjoyed this episode as well. Until then, 
take care and keep coming back. Yeah, I love you guys. Thanks for all the love and support. Always appreciate it. And have a great Thank sober you. Sunday. Woo! Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>